May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever right in your sight, O Lord, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Please have a seat. So, I'm going to preach on the gospel today, and it's the, it's, this is the first of six weeks we're going to read through the gospel of John, the sixth chapter of the gospel of John. Now, John's gospel has a complicated relationship to the other three gospels, Matthew, but it does uncommon things with them. And here, at the beginning of the sixth chapter, we hear two stories found in the other three gospels that may sound familiar to you. The feeding of lots and lots of people, feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus walking on water. But they're not entirely identical. The feeding of the multitude is the only miracle story told in all four Gospels. It's like um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, that's, That's a miracle for them. But John deliberately calls what Jesus does a sign, not a miracle. And Jesus, um, sorry, John uses that term for a reason. Because he wants to stress that the real significance of Jesus' activity isn't simply to feed those people that are hungry. It's to reveal something vital about Jesus that, and in turn about God that we need to know. And in this case, John wants to emphasize to us and to the first people who heard his gospel, that Jesus is the one who can satisfy every need. Now, signs are tricky. Signs are tricky because they can be misinterpreted. And the story of the feeding today, the witnesses fail to interpret the sign correctly. Now, we have the luxury of hindsight, lots of other scripture to reference, including Hebrew scripture, but so did the people back there. And they failed to perceive the spiritual significance of what was happening. To them, it's a miracle. I mean, we were hungry, the sky came, and he fed us. That's a miracle. I mean, we heard it in the gospel that it would have taken much, much more than people make in order to feed that many people. Um, It could have been anything really that they wanted. It could have been more wine or more healings. All of, all of these are in stories in John. And their solution to their physical problems of where they're living is to make Jesus their king. So we spend a lot of time hearing about feeding the 5,000, but what we really want to, I want to focus on is the crowd's response. So they see this guy, he gives them bread, let's make him the king. Because if we make him the king, he's going to solve all our problems. Now, the glory that Jesus will reveal is not from him becoming a holy political leader. We know that. Um, And he's not going to bring in the most benevolent and wonderful government in the world. Jesus came to reveal God. He came to suffer for our sins. Jesus was God's ultimate 
revelation to humanity. Through Jesus, we were able to really know who God is. And his followers just couldn't get their head wrapped around that. Jesus came to reveal that God is love. God's essential desire is to be available and accessible to his people. And according to John, the word made flesh, that's Jesus, reveals God and shows God love so that we may experience it with every sense that we have. It may not be what we want to hear, but it's what we need to know. It may not be what we want to hear, but it's what we need to know. Now put yourself in the crowd following Jesus. Imagine the disappointment and confusion. So he feeds 5,000 people and then he runs away. He runs away and hides. They just witnessed from their standpoint an incredible miracle. They just, everyone just got fed. They'd be expecting more great things from this fellow, but he abandoned them. And they would have been confused because they would not understand why he ran away when they wanted to make him king. Disappointment, confusion, and misunderstanding is a strange way to start John's sixth chapter. Now, I don't want to get lost in the details because then we'd miss the broader context and meaning. The first people hearing this gospel would have been immersed in a Jewish culture and would have been very familiar with Jewish scripture. And the par- there's a lot of parallels in, in this story with things that have happened in the past and recorded in that scripture. Um, it's taking place at Passover, one of the great festivals of the Jewish people, and one of the greatest events associated with Moses. There's a supernatural feeding and salvation from the sea that are joined together in our gospel, just as the crossing of the Red Sea and the manna in the wilderness were part of the story of Moses. And these stories would have been etched into the DNA of the Jewish people. God rescued them from Egypt and brought them to the promised land. Think of the parallels with Moses. How much more favor does Jesus have? Jesus doesn't part the sea. He walks on it. Jesus doesn't provide manna. He satisfies hunger with real bread. There are other parallels in Hebrew scripture too. Joshua parted the Jordan River when the Israelites entered the promised land. Elisha, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain fed over 100 people and still had food left over. But with only five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus fed 5,000 men, over 50 times more. And that doesn't include probably the families that were with these men. These events are more than miracles. They're signs that point to Jesus. The Passover was a festival to celebrate the God's saving of the Jewish people from the oppression of the, of the Egyptians. And the crowd's desire to make Jesus the king was an act of revolution. Like they were under the control of the Roman Empire. They had Roman government on top of them. They were an oppressed people. And however misguided one might think, 
from what we know later in the gospel, they were acting on their beliefs, really believing that Jesus was going to liberate them from the Romans. He was going to get rid of this yoke. He was going to satisfy what they thought their most earnest need was, and that was their own king, their own country, back the way it used to be when they had King David. But John's message is that the crowds had missed the point of what happened. Jesus' gift of food uh, fit their need at the time, which was hunger. The challenge is actually understanding what our deepest need is. Their deepest need wasn't for food. But Jesus, the people that are there, they, they didn't understand what their deepest need was. So what Jesus wasn't, the message wasn't what they wanted to hear, but it is what we need to know. And it's not the first story in the gospel where Jesus' followers fail to understand the significance of what he's all about. And it's not the first time people tried to force him to be the Messiah, their idea of the Messiah, which is a liberating king, right? So that they could, they, they, they could break the oppression and the subjugation of the Romans. They wanted a leader to make sure that no one would be hungry or thirsty again. But Jesus knew that if he let people do that to him, they'd miss the real reason for his coming. His intent was to point beyond physical needs to spiritual ones. And if you remember in Jesus' temptation story, he told Satan, man does not live by bread alone. We live by God's word in our lives. God's message of love and forgiveness, that, that changes us. And we fulfill our purpose when we reveal God's purposes and desires in our own lives. When we live a life revealing that God is love and that God is available and accessible to everyone. And how often do we fail in that task? How often are we focused only on what serves our immediate desires and needs? And how often do we fail to realize how gracious God has acted in our lives and in the lives of others? We only see partially and, dis and in distorted ways. And we need that continuing word of Jesus and Jesus himself if we're we're going to be able to really explore and live more deeply in the glory and love of God. And Jesus closes our gospel reading and eliminates any confusion about who he really is when he responds to his disciples' fears with this word. It is I. Do not be afraid. It's a language of divine presence and revelation. And in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scripture, whenever, whenever, uh, when you ever hear, do not be afraid, that's the language God uses when he reveals himself in the Hebrew Bible. Do not be afraid. And when, when Jesus says that, he's revealing that he is God. Now, like the crowds in, 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 in this story, We've been fed by God's grace, fed with God's mercy, care, and steadfast love. And like them, we often fail to see what God is doing in our lives. 
we look for the wrong kind of Jesus. You know, Jesus who will simply serve our programs, our desires, and our wishes. You know, Jesus doesn't want any part in that because God's up to something far greater. Jesus comes to us as God in the flesh. Jesus comes to us as the one who reveals the Father to us and draws us into the Father's love. And Jesus comes to us in the fearful, lonely, empty, and threatening times and places and says, it is I. Jesus has come to be with us and bring us to the place God has intended. Because Jesus is the one that can satisfy every human need. Even the ones we may be less able to admit. He offers us all relationship with God and the way to experience God's love in all of its fullness. And this divine presence calls us, as the disciples were called, to reveal God to others by walking with Jesus and supporting his work. It doesn't mean we're not going to be disappointed or confused or be, um, have misunderstandings. And of course, we can't do it on our own. Our resources are not sufficient individually or even within this church. But we are not to be afraid because Jesus is the one who can satisfy every human need. So reveal Jesus to others in your life and your actions because how we live matters. We have no excuses to deny this world this gift because all life and all good gifts come from God. Amen.